Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duff, and we've got a lot to take away from Week 10 in college football. But first, we're going to start things off with Scout Stories, where Eagles Director of College Scouting, Alan Walking, is going to stop by to talk through the running back position, projecting those guys from college to the NFL. Really good discussion there with Alan about that position. After that, we're going to transition to the big takeaways from this week in Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell to talk through the biggest winners from Week 10 in college football. Then we've got on the clock, where Chris McPherson, C-Mac, going to join the show once again to help us debate who would win the Heisman Trophy this year if only defensive players were eligible for the award. Fun discussion there, and we'll get into that later in the show. Then we're going to wrap things up with our draft mailbag. Great question about quarterbacks and the team-building philosophy surrounding that position. We'll close that out uh, with the show at the end with draft mailbag. As always, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. If you're not subscribed already, I don't know what to tell you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. But if you are already subscribed, you want to find another way to throw us your support, the best way to do that is to go on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. And it really helps promote the show and make it more available to others that are looking for NFL Draft Podcasts. I appreciate everybody that continues to throw us your support over on those channels. That said, let's start the show off. I'm excited to catch up with Alan Walking in Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joined here by Eagles Director of College Scouting, Alan Walking, to talk about the running back spot for Scout Stories this week. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, friend. So let's talk about running back, a position that obviously it's a highly debated one when it comes to value and importance and all that. But when you're trying to project these guys from college to the NFL, what can be the most difficult part of that projection and of that evaluation? With, with college runners, it's probably diagnosing the vision and their ability to create. Mm. Um, you know, holes shrink as these guys ascend um, through levels of play. You know, a hole in high school looks one way, a hole in college looks another way. And then in the NFL, you know, NFLs are, NFL runners are really kind of creating you know, space for themselves, you know, they're showing color on one side of a pad and dipping into an an adjacent gap. So um, it's not easy to kind of diagnose, you know, how a guy sees the field um, and and finds his way to daylight. I find it so hard because even like when you say, oh, this guy, you know, the force missed tackles and and things of that nature, it's like, well, not every single one of those is is created equal either, right? Like if you put it all in just one metric, it's like, all right, well, did this guy lower his shoulder and bowl a guy over? Did he shake a guy in a phone booth? Or did he just kind of step through an arm tackle near the sideline where it's like that's not going to be a tackle attempt he sees in the NFL? Uh, that can be kind of tough to be able to differentiate among those, right? You're 100% right. And, uh, you know, again, you also talk about the level of competition that the, yeah. the runner's facing and then the environment of play. Like there are some teams that are tempo run teams that go so fast that they're, they're getting on defenses before they're aligned and you're just – you're outgapping somebody um, in a way that's probably not translatable to our league. And, you know, there'll be maybe explosion runs uh, just because of the way the offense operates. And it's, it's great for the college, but for us, you just try to figure out, Hey, how, how well earned were those yards? When you reflect back in the early stages of your career, is there uh, a semblance of how you looked at the position 10 years ago versus how you look at it now? What would have been the biggest differences in your mind there? I mean, the di- <laughs> Pass catching ability is just so critical yeah. today. You know, I think, you know, 10 years ago, it, it was probably less emphasized. You know, all the, the 
running backs in our league, the ability to contribute in the pass game is just, it's just critical. You know, it's so hard to, to put a big grade on a back that uh, can't help you on third down. And I guess the other part of that in terms of being the impact on third down is the pass protection aspect of it. And we've had those debates here on the podcast as well in the past is like, is that an underrated portion of, of the running back evaluation now? Or is that talked about too much? Is that over it? Like, how do you kind of view the, the blocking aspect of the position in the evaluation at this point? Yeah, I, you know, what you would hope is that that's a teachable thing. If you have, you know, above a, a certain baseline of size, toughness, all of the, the traits that you would hope that that's something that he can acquire through coaching. And we've had great coaches here. Um, so I think it does need to be discussed. It has to be emphasized, you know, uh, players ability to process and surface blocks. Uh, but for me, you know, the run skill is so much a, uh, is a much larger part of, of how we value the guy. And you're just, you're really hoping that once we get him, if, if there are flaws uh, in the protection side, that, that we can, we can address those through coaching where some of the other things, you know, the ability to, to create, elude, um, you know, create separation in the route, you know, those things are harder to kind of give to the player. The versatility, you mentioned how important a third down aspect is in today's game. It used to be before, like, that was, like, a nice plus, like an add-on, like, cherry on top. Now it's just – it's more integral now. Like, that's got to be one of the base parts of the evaluation. I mean, so much of our game, we're facing sub-defense, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, the the running back's ability to, to contribute in that phase is just uh, – I mean, that's – we're playing more third down football than ever, just in, in conventional terms, like how you would think about it. But it's it's a passing league. Well, Al, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for shedding light on the running back position with us here in Scout Stories. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Fran. So great stuff there from Alan. And my big takeaway, just talking about what makes it so hard to evaluate the running back position, uh, is that that vision, that make-you-miss ability, not all of those broken tackles are created equal, right? And that's one of the things we talked about, was that uh, just because a guy puts up big production in college that's not always translatable and getting to the whys behind that and providing context behind that always so, so, so important at that position. I thought that was really notable. And then obviously the third down value, that's something that uh, every team has really been taking notice of, right? I mean, Kyle Shanahan has gone on record saying we won't draft a running back unless he's got three down potential. We know that the value that this staff here in Philadelphia places on running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield and do different things on third down. So uh, that element of the position, so, so, so important here uh, as you're projecting players from college to the NFL. So good stuff there from Alan Walking. Always great to catch up with him here on the show. That said, let's keep this one rolling. Excited now to transition to this week in college football. It's time for some Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, time to turn our attention to this week here as I welcome in Dane Brugler and Ben Fennel for some Saturday scouting. Guys, let's uh, let's start with our game balls, our standout players for the weekend. And uh, Ben, I'll let you kick things off. Who's uh, Who got your game ball here this weekend in college football? Well, it feels like this guy's showing up every couple of weeks. And Devin Lloyd, linebacker, University of Utah, is really emerging as one of the best off-ball linebackers in the country. Capped off another huge game against Stanford over the weekend. Tons of tackles, and he had 12 tackles nine in the run game, three TFLs, a pick six, a sack. I mean, this guy's just checking the boxes and loading up the stat sheet every week. He's productive off ball. He can play off the line of scrimmage in that kind of Sam overhang position. He's a smart player. He's instinctive. He's rangy. He's long. This guy checks a lot of boxes in a murky linebacker group. Devin Lloyd, one of the more consistent players in the country, friend. 
You got any? Uh, you got any comps for him? You know, that's a really good question. I feel like I've studied him in weird moments uh, in the off season of the last two off seasons, and I don't know if I really came up with a through and through comp, but. Um, he's a guy I definitely want to, you know, kind of hone in and figure out who he reminds me of. Yeah, he definitely has all the traits for sure. I said, N'Kobe Dean to me has been the top linebacker, but right after that, uh, in terms of the draft eligible guys, after that, right after that, it's Devin Lloyd. I mean, sure. both those guys have put themselves in, in the first round consideration. I'm a, I'm a big Christian Harris guy uh, as well. Dane, uh, give us your game ball. Who, uh, who gets it for you this week? So I also went with the linebacker. Um, uh, Nebraska had a heck of a game against Ohio State. It was a loss, uh, but the Husker defense, they showed up, gave the Buckeyes problems. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. Uh, C.J. Strouds really struggled, uh, including two picks. Uh, one to JoJo Doman, who, who gets my game ball. He finished with nine tackles, one tackle for loss, three passes defended, and the interception. He plays kind of a hybrid nickel role in that Nebraska scheme, so he's dropping into coverage. Uh, does a really nice job with the spatial relationships and zone reads the eyes of the quarterback, not a big time athlete, but he's not deficient either. Uh, I'd say he's slightly above average, uh, but he's just a really smart football player. Uh, he's worked himself into draftable territory this year and Nebraska, they've got at least two draft picks on that defense with Doman and then, uh, Cam Taylor Britt at corner. So, uh, it's a squad that plays hard and they get the most out of their ability. Yeah, he's a, a guy that has flashed anytime you turn on the Huskers this season. Uh, I'm going to be honest, guys. I can't believe that neither of you chose North Carolina running back Ty Chandler, uh, who was one of the catalysts for that upset victory over Wake Forest for the heels. Obviously, a huge one. He ran for about 200 yards. He had a huge one to, to seal the victory late in that game. So Ty Chandler getting a, a huge productive day for the Tar Heels against Wake Forest. But my game ball goes to Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams. Ben, you and I got a chance to watch Williams together a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this guy has just absolutely turned uh, you know, turned the SEC on fire with what he's doing um, from a receiving standpoint. Another transfer player, he came in from Ohio State. He goes 10 for 160 in a touchdown against LSU. Just a ridiculous circus catch going to the ground off of a tip ball that was intended for another Alabama wide receiver. Uh, Jamison Williams, I was watching um, Martin Emerson, the Mississippi State corner the other day over the weekend, and I'm studying Emerson. Jameson Williams takes this like it was like a long dig, a dig route that was in the intermediate area of the field, turns on the afterburners and just takes off and runs away from everybody on the field. So Jameson Williams, man, I mean, he's he has got a skill set to be a, you know, you want to throw like that number one receiver tag around for guys. I, to me, there are only a handful of those guys in the NFL. He has got the skill set to be one of those elite guys at the position. He is a, a special talent. Yeah, he was a guy last week I kind of used as our comparison chat where he's a mix of like a Justin Jefferson and Chad Johnson, really dynamic kind of high cut route running, uh, route yeah. running explosive receivers that maybe lack a little bit of play strength with the yards after catch and the blocking, but really, really dynamic receiver and an explosive separator. Where's he uh, ranked for you, Fran, mm-hmm. among the receivers in this class with you know, the two Ohio State kids uh, with Traylon Burks, uh, Drake London, Jahan Dotson, where those six players right there, uh, where, where does he fall for you? And obviously this is with the caveat of like no receiver, a receiver is not a receiver is not a receiver. All these guys in so many different shapes right. and sizes. But to me, I put him in that bucket with the, the Traylon Burks and a healthy Justin Ross, right? In that uh, this is a big receiver who can win in the small game, right? He can get in and out of breaks. He can make plays at all three levels. Uh, To me, when I look at the receivers in this class, 
you know, if you want to throw Drake, Drake London in there, sure. But to me, like I would put Jamison Williams in that bucket above. I would put him in that same tier uh, as Burks and Ross. Uh, again, a healthy Justin Ross uh, in this group, personally. And Jay, even Pickens, you know, George Pickens of Georgia, when he's yep. healthy, uh, he's obviously dealing with the ACL that he suffered uh, this spring as well. But uh, it, it is an interesting group of receivers. And I, I, that's the thing. Yep. I think that it's getting kind of uh, dogged on a little bit just because it's not quite from last year. It's a, it's a pretty good group, though. Overall, um, that said, I mentioned a couple of plays that stood out to me from Jamison Williams. Interesting to get your guys, your one play takeaways from this weekend. Is there a memorable moment uh, that will stick here for you? Dane, I'll come to you first for this one. Uh, so one of my favorite things to do every Monday morning, uh, pull up the NC State tape, uh, offensive tape, <laughs> and just so I could watch Iki Aquanu do some violent things to people. <laughs> uh, and he didn't disappoint this week against Florida State. He had maybe the most violent snatch and finish I've ever seen from a college player, I tweeted the play uh, for anyone that wants to check it out. The balance and the power is unreal to do something like that. And he did it with his left hand. Uh, I Maybe that's his dominant hand. I don't know. That's something me to figure out. But uh, if it's his offhand, it's just even the more impressive the way he torpedoed the, the Florida State defender to the ground. Um, I, I've got my updated top 50 coming out this week on The Athletic. And let's just say... You don't have to read past the top five players before you get to a Kwanu's name. He's the real deal. Mm. Uh, so the, so the, so certainly watch from a content standpoint uh, for later this week. Ben, how about you? Well, I really wanted to highlight TJ Pledger's 96-yard touchdown, but we already touched on that Utah game. He's a really nice player. I think it's going to be a good third down piece for somebody. Kind of stiff-armed the safety and took off for a huge touchdown. But Central Michigan receiver Khalil Pimpleton, I don't know if you guys heard about his weekend. He had two punt return touchdowns within a couple minutes of each other, 70-yarder and then a 97-yarder just before the half. Also had five for 115, the touchdown receiving. Kind of using those two punt returns as just a way to talk about them. 5'9", 175, Virginia Tech transfer. Put on his touches over the last two seasons, guys. Returning ability, yards after catch, over the top, wildcat. He's thrown a bunch of passes as well. All sorts of uses in this offense. Really fun player. Khalil Pimpleton, a little small, but he's explosive and a really fun player. Two punt return touchdowns this past weekend. I'm going to be honest. Monday mornings, I usually get up. Like uh, I usually like start thinking about the day, about the week ahead. I didn't think this morning when I was like showering and changed that I was going to be talking about Cleo Pimpleton. But uh, you, you always step up to the challenge here for us, Ben. Um, <laughs> for me, I'm going to go back to the Big Ten. And I want to talk about David Ojabo, uh, the Michigan pass rusher, the guy playing on the opposite side of Aiden Hutchinson. He had a ridiculous sack fumble this week against Indiana. It was his eighth sack of the season, his fourth forced fumble of the season. Ben, you would have loved this. He goes, I don't know if you saw it. He goes outside chop into one of the best spin moves I've seen from a college player all year long, perfectly executed against the Indiana right tackle. And just doing a little bit of work on David Ojabo. Uh, we've seen the highlights over the course of this season, and he has really, really flashed. I talk about the production. But digging into his background, six foot five, 250 pounds. He had played 26 snaps before this season, did not start playing football until the junior year of high school. He was born in Nigeria, moved to Scotland in 2007, then came to the U.S. Uh, just for high school. Two years later, uh, after playing some soccer and some uh, and some basketball and running some, ran some track, he won a 2018 state title in the 100 meter. Uh, this is a guy that's a freak athlete, um, did not start playing football till a late age. Now he's getting a, his chance as a starter. And he is just flourishing. So, uh, Dane, I know you've kind of given him some buzz uh, about what he could be down the road. Cle very much a one-year wonder. Like I said, 26 snaps in his entire career before this season. Um, but he is absolutely uh, helping himself with how he's performing this year for the Wolverines defense. 
He's basically on the Jason Owe uh, path. You know, they didn't start playing football until their junior years of high school. Uh, kind of, you know, trying to get their feet wet at the college level, getting better and better. Uh, the difference being that, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Ojabo <laughs> has the production that yeah. uh, Owe did it, and so uh, it, it's just been amazing. He's only a redshirt sophomore. Yep. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting the you know decision that he has after the year. I mentioned my top fifty. He's absolutely in there because I believe that he would be drafted uh, fairly high if he does come out. But, you know, I, I think uh, all Harbaugh has to do is look at, you know, OK, look what we did with Quiddy Pay. Look, what we did with uh, Hutchinson, guys that came back, got better. Uh, or we could see Ojabo try to, uh, you know, really capitalize on this year. Either way, this is a guy that ran a 10, 900 meters at 225 wow. pounds in high school, wow. which is ridiculous. He is the freakiest of the freaks. Uh, at 250 plus pounds, I would I I, I will put big money that he's going to rub a sub four five 40 yard dash. He is a freak. That is a, a special special athlete, like you mentioned, a redshirt sophomore. So he is eligible for this year's NFL draft, the 2022 draft. But let's now transition into our segment where we talk about guys that are not eligible for the next upcoming draft, our down-the-road freak shows. And I'll stay uh, in the Big Ten here. I'll go with Michigan's rival, Ohio State. They had that win over Nebraska. And look, we talk about Chris Olave. We talk about Garrett Wilson. Obviously, really talented wide receivers there. They've had a lot of talented receivers there in recent history. Well, the next guy coming up, Jackson Smith and Jigba. He goes a school record 15 catches for 240 yards and a touchdown against the Cornhuskers. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, put him down on your list for just a file down the road. Uh, this is a guy that has the ability to be a big play weapon there for the Buckeyes. Uh, ben, let's bounce this to you. Who's your down the road guy this week? Yeah, another one just to quickly file away. Alabama had a true freshman corner make his first career start against LSU. Pretty pretty big uh, kind of moment there for a true freshman. And that's cornerback Gaquinsky. Gut Quincy, that's right, Gut Quincy McKinstry. He's better known as Kool-Aid on the streets. That's Kool-Aid McKinstry, really cool name, five-star corner everybody wanted at a Pinson Valley High School out there in Birmingham. That's where Bo Nix came from a couple years earlier, but nice. five-star corner, first start over the weekend, looked the part out there in the SEC against LSU, file it away for later. Five-star corner, 10-star name, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, big time. <laughs> uh, Dane, let's come to you. Who's yours? Yeah, and real quick on Smith and Jigba, uh, he was basically the reason that Jameson Williams transferred to Alabama is because right. the Ohio State coaches uh, really, really big on him. They think he might be the best of the group. Wow. Um, I went with, uh, speaking of SEC receivers, uh, Jermaine Burton at Georgia. Uh, he had a, uh, a a touchdown over the weekend uh, in Georgia's win against Missouri. It's not, you know an offense that likes to run the ball. They will put it up in the air. Burton doesn't have a ton of production, only 16 catches this year. Uh, but when he's out there, I mean, he's a, he's someone the defense has to account for. So uh, a saw, true sophomore uh, and a guy that we'll be talking about at this point next year as maybe one of the top five to seven receivers in next year's class. Interesting. Uh, certainly another name to file. And then Georgia, it feels like they've got a bunch of young receivers. And it's like, okay, like if this guy continues to develop, he'll be a name. We're talking about Burton, certainly uh, on that list. Let's go down to our film room recaps, a player that we've studied on film over the last week that has caught your eye. And, and since we're talking receivers, I'll keep the ball rolling here. I studied Penn State wide receiver Jahan Dotson over the weekend. This is a guy that Mel Kuyper recently had as his wide receiver one, not on this edition of his big board, but on his most on the one before that. Uh, this is a guy clearly uh, one 
of the big play weapons in the Big Ten. And I think when you look at Dotson, um, you know, look, look, it's interesting. He's 5'11", 184 pounds. He's got a little bit of a slight frame. Uh, I, I was actually talking with somebody who said he's kind of like a, a Diet Coke version of uh, Devontae Smith. And I could definitely see that in that this guy catches everything. He makes the the tough grabs look really easy, rarely puts the football on the ground. I don't think he's quite as technically proficient as Devontae Smith was. I don't even know if he's quite as juicy as Devontae was. Devontae was just a such a long strider and ate up so much grass. And Dotson's got juice. Don't, don't get me wrong. He's got the ability to stretch a defense, but uh, I don't know that he's on Devontae Smith's level. But Dotson, he catches everything. Uh, he offers punt return value. He was a big-time punt returner for them uh, last year in 2020. Really impressive body control. If he could just get a little bit better playing through contact mid-route, um, I do think that this guy has the ability to stick uh, as a longtime starter in the NFL. Uh, I do wish he was a little bit better as a blocker as well. That's a, another big difference there between he and Devontae Smith. Smith was just, was such a good blocker on the perimeter, so uh, just going to make you know an impact for you in so many different ways. I don't know that Dotson is quite there, but um, – yeah, an interesting player, nonetheless, for sure. I almost chose Dotson for the, my game ball because against Maryland on Saturday, 11 for 242 and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just a remarkable day. He, the Penn State record for most receiving yards in a, in a single game. So uh, he, he is fantastic, no question. I, I went with uh, Damone Clark for my film room recap, uh, LSU linebacker. Uh, we want to talk about the most improved players in the country from last year. I mean, Kenny Pickett might be at the top of that list. Sure. Uh, Clark's close as well. I mean, he's been, I've been so impressed with the maturation. Uh, he's so quick in his trigger and go. Uh, his range and speed are outstanding. He closes the gap really quickly due to his pursuit speed. Uh, he's got length to disengage from blocks. There's power in his hands. There are times where, you know, he might get sucked up or, you know, shows a little bit of tunnel vision. But he's one of the top run defenders in this class. Coverage has been solid. Uh, he's already, I think, got 108 tackles, uh, which is tied for the most in, in, in the country. So Damone Clark uh, has been a, a really pleasant surprise this year. Ben, take us home here. Who do you like? Who, who got your uh, film and recap for the week? Well, I just had to start diving into this Michigan State defensive end, Jacob Panashuk, because he's leading the country in QB pressures right now. It's 63, well ahead of number two, 6'4", 255, grad senior. He's been a four-year starter. This guy is extremely productive. He's been playing that left defensive end spot, kind of in a stand-up role for the most part, but he's a three-down player, really good against the run. His brother played with him at Michigan State a couple years earlier from Lake Park High School, actually played with Perry and Winfrey in high school. Now the defensive tackle down there at Oklahoma. I love defensive line prospects coached by Ron Burton there at Michigan State, one of the carryovers from the previous regime with Mel Tucker now. This guy has incredible workouts on his social media, squatting tires. He looks like he's kind of a country cornfed kid, really strong, interesting high school background. In addition to defensive line, tight end, H-back, punter, long snapper. I'm not sure if that punting and long snapping happened on the same play. I'd love to watch it if it did, but he's playing that kind of Kenny Willekes role where he's just a really good productive three down player. He's strong. He's technical has heavy hands, a bit of a run to pass player. First, he can win high side Fran, but he doesn't do it with just natural gifts. He doesn't do it because he's flexible or has a great first step. He does it very deliberately and technically with hands knows how to set up tackles, a little inside out moves has power, spin moves. Watch a spin move he put on the Nebraska tackle last year. Really impressive, relentless. I don't think he's flashy. You know, in that same kind of Kenny Willekes mold, he's productive but not flashy. Reminds me a ton of Rob Ninkovich. 
in his time with the Patriots, who is also a kind of a boring kid out of Purdue back in 2006, another Big Ten pass rusher that didn't have the exciting juice, but he played a good 10, 12 years in the NFL because he's a great three-down player. He's smart and he's strong, and I think that's Jacob Panashuk. I think the QB pressures is a little rich this year. I mean, he had 12 this past weekend against Purdue. He had 14 against Nebraska. He is relentless and strong and dominant. I don't I don't think he's going to be that in the NFL. But I think he's just a really interesting, well-rounded player for day three. I was going to say, what's the what's the body type? He's he's six four, two fifty five. Okay, so he's got some long arms, but he's really strong. He's got a good core, stout at the point of attack. You put a tight end over him, he's going to ragdoll him. He's pretty strong against most offensive tackles in the Big Ten. Just doesn't have an explosive element or anything to really get super excited about. Well-rounded, three-down player, strong, productive. You like all those boxes. I like it. All right. Well, we uh, we wrapped this up by talking about a couple defensive players. We're going to keep the defensive player discussion going in our next segment where we go on the clock. Before we welcome in C-Mac, just a quick update on the standings here in our weekly debate segment. I've got the lead right now with four wins. Dane and Ben right on my tail with three. So we'll see uh, who is able to, if I'm able to extend the lead or if one of these guys can uh, can bring it to a tie. Right here now, it's time to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, let's now transition to on the clock as we welcome in Chris McPherson. C-Mac, uh, help us out here. I teed up the topic a little bit earlier, but uh, take us in. All right, so Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, executive director, does a phenomenal job, put out a tweet over the weekend saying, you know, w- without a standout offensive candidate for the Heisman at this point, and there's still some time to go, let's give the defensive players some love. So figure let's bring it to you guys here. Who would be at this point the defensive player most likely to win the Heisman in the 2021 season. And this week we have Dane who will go first. Ben, our defending champion is second and Fran will bring up the rear in third place. So Dane, let's get this train moving. All right. So my answer is the player who would be the number one overall pick if he were eligible. And that is that Alabama pass rusher, Will Anderson. Uh, This guy is the best player in the field. Every time he goes out there, 6'4", 250, uh, vines for arms, rare athletic twitch for a player that size. He wins so early in the rep because he's so quick. He springs out of his stance. He can beat blockers one-on-one. He can split double teams. I think Ben said it best uh, when I heard him call uh, Anderson a quarterback hunter. It's what he does. He's so explosive, so loose. Uh, The play strength, the contact balance are uh, on similar levels. 6'4", 250, and you just shouldn't be that twitched up at that size. And the crazy thing is, the Alabama coaches say all those traits are why he might even be a better run defender. Uh, so this is not a one-trick pony we're talking about. Uh, so Anderson, a no-brainer premier, premier talent, but to win the Heisman, you need production too, right? Well, Anderson leads the nation in tackles for loss with 21. No one else in the SEC has even reached double digits yet. His 10.5 sacks, good for second in the country. Uh, he's top four in, in pressures. So freak of nature uh, with the traits, check. High-end production, check. What about uh, opposing coaches? What do they say about them? After Anderson and the Alabama defense shut down Ole Miss's offense earlier this year, Lane Kiffin compared him to two players, Derek Thomas, Miles Garrett, because of his ability to take over games. Uh, If he doesn't get at least invited to New York this year, uh, then uh, they have to change you, this to an offensive-only award because he's the best player in the country, in my opinion. Obviously doing it for one of the best teams in the nation as well, and again, only a true sophomore. So that was Jim Nagy's vote as well. 
when he posted the tweet. So, Ben, tough act to follow. Let's see if you actually like your guy this week. <laughs> well, certainly Will Anderson Jr. is an exciting young player, but if we want to go with the best defensive prospect in the country and the best defensive player in the country, it's going to be the first defensive player off the board this spring. And that's Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau. And I should really say Oregon defensive end because this guy does everything. He is a consistent presence of production and disruption. And he's right up there with Will Anderson, C-Mac, but with another year under his belt. So all those sack totals and QB pressures and TFL totals, Kayvon Thibodeau's right there, lockstep with Will Anderson, but with an extra year of production added on top of that. So not only just getting after quarterbacks, but his ability to disrupt run and blocking assignments by shooting gaps. He can bully tight ends, makes tons of plays out in space and to the sideline as well. His impact when he gets to the ball carry as well is really reflective in his forced fumbles. This guy checks a lot of boxes with his playmaking ability. And just go to see some of these games in the middle of this year, C-Mac. Nine pressures against UCLA, best player on the field. Ten pressures against Cal, best player on the field. He makes his presence known on a drive-to-drive basis. And that's what you get with the best defensive player in the country, the defensive Heisman winner in the country, and a guy that consistently dominates the game. There's smoke coming out of the office where Ben's at. A lot of fire. A lot of heat there. So good rebuttal, good counter argument. Uh, Fran, I mean, last week we did one dedicated to the Georgia defense. I haven't heard of uh, someone from that squad yet. Number one team. Well, are you, are you going to, are you going there? Are you going to bring well, a bulldog into you the mix? You say that, c It's funny you say that because that is where I'm going to go here uh, for my pick. This is a, a team that obviously is number one in the country, 9-0 to start the year. They have yet to allow more than 13 points in a game. In 2021, they have not allowed more than 13 points in a game, and that's only happened twice, South Carolina and Kentucky. Every other game, they've kept 10 points or under. They've got two shutouts already on the resume. They've got two other teams they held to just a field goal. So I think when you look, the when you talk about dominance, no team has been more dominant than the Georgia Bulldogs. And so if we're looking at the history of the Heisman and say, oh, who typically gets this? Obviously, it's, a, it's an offensive award, but it's – Who's the best player on the best team? And very often, that is the guy who ends up hoisting the Heisman Trophy when it's all said and done. So I'm going to look at Georgia. Who is the straw that stirs the drink for the Georgia Bulldogs? And I'm going to look at linebacker Nicobe Dean. Six foot, 235 pounds. He's third on the team in tackles. He's second in sacks, and he leads in interceptions. This is a guy that plays sideline to sideline. He's a downhill thumper. Six foot, 235 pounds. He wakes up every morning, C-Mac, rolls out of bed and chooses violence. That is his game through and through. He, that's what he is all about. And watching him at the point of attack, he's one of the more fun players to study on film. I think when you look at Nicobe Dean and even some of the stuff, you know, Daniel Jeremiah recently on the Move the Sticks podcast talked about, you know, talking with NFL scouts and he, and he is the guy that really kind of is the, the leader of that Georgia defense. So if you're going to say, okay, this is the guy that's the pulse of the number one unit in college football, how is this guy not the Heisman winner in this scenario. So uh, to me, I'm going to say, look, give, rather than just the top prospect, because that's not the question, it's who wins the Heisman trophy. I'm going to go with Nicobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia. Wow. Great arguments. Phenomenal week. You guys taking this really seriously, you know, uh, but framing so a Georgia's great point defensive to- Heisman should go to whoever's recruiting these defensive players, <laughs> whether it's <laughs> right. David, David Cooper or Kirby smart on the, on the trail. 
who's ever bringing these kids in, he gets my vote out there in Georgia. I mean, I mean, Fran makes a valid point though. A lot of times you say, all right, who's number one in the rankings? Who's the best player on that team? Usually it's an offensive player. You go there, Ben bringing in an Oregon player, obviously Oregon doing great in the pac 12 and obviously likely player to be, you know, in consideration, if not the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft. So good argument there. Uh, but this is going to be Dane's week. I mean, Alabama turning out, Outstanding defenses year in, year out. Uh, phenomenal numbers. It's not not just the size, because again, we're not just talking about, you know, I know Ben brings up the everything with a year added. I, I just care about 2021. What's he done? What's he done this year? Although many could say the Heisman can typically be, you know, what have you done over the course of a couple of years? But we've seen breakout candidates uh, swarm up the rankings and and steal the award after one year of great production. So uh, Will Anderson, although he's a true sophomore, you know, maybe we'll see if he gets the trip to New York City, but he'll be the winner for this week's journey to draft on the clock segment. So great job, Dane. Way to get back in the win calm and guys. Phenomenal effort as always. Well, it's been a, it's been a while for Dan, so he was due. He was due. Uh, but it, it has been uh, the Alabama. Nick Saban's never had a pass rusher like Will Anderson, so well deserving no. uh, to get this award. He's a he's a special special talent. CMac, uh, good stuff, sir. We will talk to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. So great stuff there from Dane, from Ben, from C-Mac. We will talk to them all later this week. Let's now transition to our draft mailbag, where, again, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it. It could be a mock draft. It could be position rankings. Anything you're looking for, we will be breaking it down right here every single week on the show. I want to answer a question from P. Pope, who left a five-star review saying, Love the show, Fran. I will be well-informed by the time the draft comes around, and it is exciting with the Eagles having such draft capital. Do you think that the best approach to roster building is to build the strong roster, then insert the, insert the quarterback, or... Do you do whatever it takes to get the franchise quarterback first? The Eagles really need some young blue chip talent across the board. Thank you. So, Pete Pope, great question. Love questions like this. And the reason why I love questions like this, there is no clear-cut answer. And I think that that is the big takeaway is that I think everybody's kind of looking for that magic bullet to team building and that say, oh, this, this is the way to do it. This is the, the easiest way. This is the most efficient way. This is the fastest way. This is the most high-quality way. The, the reality of the situation is, is that there is no clear-cut way to build a team, to build a roster, to find the right quarterback, to find the right prospect, to hit 100%, to bat 1,000 in the draft. That's just unattainable, right? So to me, when I look at it, it's especially, we know that quarterback, if you, that number one quarterback, that's the most important position in all of sports. It is very, very hard to find that player. So, to go into the philosophy, to go into that process of building your roster, if you're uh, rebuilding, if you're retooling, if you're in transition, and you're trying to find that quarterback, I think that it would almost be foolish to say, this is what our plan's going to be. We're going to we're going to build everything up around it and if a quarterback falls into our lap, we're going to say, "Nah, we're we're just going to wait. We're going to we're going to build up around that uh, around that player in the future because those guys are hard to come by right now. What we don't know on the outside and we have to always remember this. There are 32 teams and all 32 teams are going to view that position and all of those prospects at that position, they're going to view them differently. So us on the outside, we may say, "Oh, well, player X, this guy's a franchise quarterback. This team passed on it." So they're clearly waiting. Just because something happens doesn't mean that we know what the motivations are. Those teams may not feel that player A, player B, or player C is worthy of being that franchise quarterback, quote-unquote, right? So I think ultimately when you look at it, it's going to come down to this. 
A franchise quarterback is very hard to come by, especially if it's a guy that has that high ceiling of being one of the elites at the elite at the position. The, uh, the guys that have all the tools and have all the intangibles, those guys are very, very difficult to find. Now, there are a handful of them in the league right now, not just the grizzled vets, but some of these young stars in the league. Certainly, the Eagles just saw one this week here in Justin Herbert. Those guys can be very difficult to come across. Now, Justin Herbert was the third quarterback taken in his draft. And so uh, clearly there were two teams that, that drafted quarterbacks ahead of them that said, like, eh, we, we like these guys more. And that's where the, the evaluation standpoint uh, always comes into play. But to get back to your question, there is no such thing in my mind as the, the perfect way to go about it. If a player comes in your lap and you say, hey, look, we're not quite ready around this player, uh, you don't know if that, guy, that player or a player of his caliber is going to fall into your lap later. And I think a good example is you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Just a few years back, they had Alex Smith. They were playing well. He gets them into the playoffs. They had that explosive offense. Now, no one thought that Alex Smith could throw deep. That was the big knock on him. And then he ends up leading the NFL in explosive plays, leads them. And I think they had like the, the 28th pick or the 27th pick, something like that, going into the draft with Patrick Mahomes. But when he falls, he falls, he falls, he falls to the 10th pick. The Chiefs trade up using a, a future first-round pick to go and get Patrick Mahomes. Rather than say, hey, we've got all these pieces, no, we, we have the ability to go get a franchise quarterback. Let's go get him. Arizona Cardinals, another good example. They trade up and take Josh Rosen in the top 15 of a draft, and then one year later, they say, hey, look, we've got a guy in Kyler Murray that we feel can be legit, one of the top two or three players at the position, a top five player at the position, higher ceiling than the guy we just took in the first round a year ago. That might seem crazy, but we're going to go for it. We're going to try it. We're going to say we, this is the move that we need to make. That obviously has paid, out for, paid off for them, right? So there are lots of different ways to go about it. At the end of the day, it's still all about trying to get the evaluation right and understanding where you are uh, in the process. Maybe that doesn't fit what the timeline was going in, but it's about finding that player. And if that player is not available to you now, well, then you can wait. And I think a good example of that is the Indianapolis Colts, right? I mean, Chris Ballard has been there for a few years. Frank Reich has been there for a few years, got there in 2018. And you look at this and say, all right, well, when are they going to put? When are they going to go up and make the move for the quarterback? They're going to make. The, when are they going to make that move? Chris Ballard he waited until year four, year five. It was after Andrew Luck obviously retired, where he said, "Yeah, we're we're going to trade assets to try and get a quarterback." And so it's not always uh, as clear cut as, "Hey, we're going to. This is our timeline. This is the way we're going to do it." You have to go and make take advantage of that opportunity when it comes to you, but it still comes down to the evaluation. So, Pope, that's a great question. I could talk about this topics like this all the time. So, appreciate you leaving that over on our Apple Podcast page. Shout out to all of you out there who continue to go on and leave us th those comments, leave us those questions. Again, it could be a mock draft, player rankings, big boards, whatever it is. Go onto our Apple Podcast page and leave us that comment in the question box, and we will get to it here on an upcoming show. Great stuff this week from Alan Walking, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, C Mac. We will see you later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.